This reading is from Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced excitedly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Thank you, Christopher. Wonderfully read, as always. It was a, a treat to hear you do, do the reading. Lovely, lovely to be here once again. It's very kind of you to invite me. And um, you know, following Nick's lead, you know, Happy New Year as well. Whatever the social norms, it's the, the first time I've been here, so very Happy New Year to you all. Now, among the, the major characters in this period following Christmas, known as Epiphany, in today's passage we hear of the the Magi, who are regularly featured on Christmas cards, as you can see on the picture behind me. 
and you see them in movies and in all sorts of artworks and all sorts of things. But how accurate is this? Is there a bit of, a, shall we say, false news in this and some trickery going on that isn't really quite accurate? So having listened to today's passage and things that you may be aware of already, can you tell me anything particularly about the Magi which I, is false news? Anything you think that could well be wrong? There were three. There were three. Yes, that's a, a good start. There almost certainly wasn't three. In those days, you know, this sort of travel would have been very dangerous. So they would have had you know, a gang of um, perhaps supporters with them, some bodyguards almost. They would have had, you know, these people were wealthy and well to do, so they would have had <coughs> servants and people to do all their bidding. They would have been with them as well. They probably would have had people carrying the treasure and all sorts of things. So, yes, definitely. It would have been more than three. There's a few questions on the slide there that may help you a bit. So how many were there? Friends already touched on that one. Now what mode of transport did they use? Now what, what uh, would they have travelled on back in that time? Now the pictures always show them on camels, but they may well have had other transport as well. What rank were they? Were they really kings? You know, the, uh, the Bible refers to them as magi, sometimes as wise men. But whatever they were, they weren't kings. What type of accommodation did they find Jesus in? How old would Jesus have been at the time of their visit? And which town would Jesus have been located in at the time of their visit? And some of this links into what Gary's been putting on social media recently. Some of these things are there. So these are a few sort of answers that I came up with. Um, yes, definitely it would have been more than, more than three. It's generally believed that the three comes from the gifts that were given. So three gifts were given, three wise men, but they would almost certainly have been an awful lot more. It doesn't say what mode of transport they went on. So pictures of them in camels you know, may or may not be true. They could have come on horses, donkeys, definitely not quad bikes. That's probably going <laughs> a little bit too far, but they could have had all sorts of transport. Uh, they're not kings. You know, that, that comes from Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus' birth. And I'll mention that passage a little later. But it says that nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So that's where the king bit comes in. What type of accommodation was uh, Jesus in? And if you look at verse 11, you find they came to a house. They didn't come to a stable with a manger in. So things had moved on. How old would Jesus have been? Well, he was no longer a baby, that again says in the passage. So he would have been you know, a toddler at the very least at the time of their visit. And it doesn't say where Jesus was at the time of their visit. I forget Gary's put that up. But the context of the chapter perhaps suggests Bethlehem, but it could have been two years later. They could well have gone home back to Nazareth at this point. So all sorts of things there sort of apply to, uh, to the passage. So there we are, that's the Isaiah passage, it mentions the gifts that they would bring, the gold and the frankincense. So even you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God was starting to get things in place, starting to prepare what that they would have. And in, in Micah we have the, the next passage where it talks about um, Bethlehem, where the baby would be born. And it talks about the signs that are a virgin will conceive and have a, have a son. So all sorts of strange things. So as a result of this, if I was to design 
a Christmas card, it would look very different to the one you traditionally see. I would have at least 150 magi of various mixed races. They'd be sitting on elephants or alpacas or donkeys, all sorts of different modes of transport. And they would then visit a two-up, two-down semi in perhaps central Nazareth or suburban Bethlehem. And they would fall at the feet of a toddler rather than a baby in a manger. So very different. I you know, wonder whether that Christmas card would actually sell as well as the traditional ones. Interesting to find out. So the Magi had gone to an awful lot of trouble, an awful lot of convenience. They travelled many hundreds of miles over many, many months to get there. Now we all know that babies can be very cute, but it seems a little bit extreme to go to so much trouble just to visit a baby. But they were clearly very well versed in the scriptures. They knew that this was not any ordinary baby. They were coming to see God's king, the king of the whole world, God's leader. Now, part of this account talks about the star. There were several references to the star in the passage, which was clearly very significant to the Magi. It was there at the start of their journey. It was also over Jesus's location at the end of it. But as they had to ask directions from Herod in Jerusalem, it clearly didn't lead them the whole way. They, they obviously, their map wasn't quite up to date, and they needed a bit of help. Now, what was this star? Now, many people have problems over this. They can't quite work out what it was. And they can't really accept that God would have anything to do with, with this, you know, uh, perish the thought. So they try and find a human explanation. They suggest perhaps it was Haley's Comet doing a any low circuit of the earth, or perhaps a supernova, you know, a star that bursts somewhere in the distance that would cause this great light. Or maybe a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, which was getting very bright in the sky. But to my mind, you know, none of this makes any sense. But what I do find helpful is in Luke chapter 2, where the angels gathered to see the shepherds in the fields. And the shepherds describe the glory of the Lord shining all around them, all around the angels. And following that example, it could well be this glory, you know, the glory of the Lord, that um, the Magi saw and positioned itself over Jesus' voice. So it makes it clear that this is not an ordinary star. And the Greek word used here can also refer to lightning, a similar word is used in Greek. So again, something bright, something close by, very different to the star that we, we may just see in the sky. And to sort of further underline that point, Matthew also tells us that when Jesus comes again, the sky will be darkened, but his glory will shine out. So I believe that this is what we have here, the glory of the Lord. And this was a sign so that people would know what was going on. So I think it was God's leader, it's not unreasonable to assume that God, who created the whole universe, would not provide a sign, a signpost to, to his son's coming. In fact, it would be stranger if the creator had not signalled the arrival of this important child. You know, imagine if, uh, if God had sent a ruler for the whole universe and kept it quiet, you know, not mentioned to anybody that the, the son was coming. You know, to my mind, that would be an awful lot harder to explain. Now, as the biblical account processes and we have the Magi coming closer, we have the Magi coming to Herod, you know, Herod, the big king of Jerusalem, the big I am, in his opinion, and asking him where 
this new king of the Jews is. You know, that must have been a pretty interesting meeting when they turned up there. So you know, imagine this in a large corporate organisation where the postboy is taking a letter through and he asks the CEO of this big organisation where the new CEO is because he's got a letter for him. Imagine that would not go down well. It would be a, quite a disaster, I would think. So King Herod, on hearing this news, this news of the new king was, as it says in the NIV, was disturbed. Disturbed. Now, I suspect that's putting it very mildly. I can imagine he was livid. Now, I only know two Greek words, and one of them is kebab. Um, so that the Greek word here for disturbed is the same word that um, Jesus used when he stood by the grave of his friend Lazarus. The word meaning that he was deeply troubled, a real sense of anger, a real annoyance. And that's really what um, Herod was feeling about this, this news that had been brought his way. So Herod didn't waste any time. He reacted very quickly. He called all his advisors to where he was and asked them, where the Messiah, the Christ, would be born. So by using those words, even Herod recognised the significance of this child. They in turn directed him to the scriptures, in particular um, Micah 5, where 700 years earlier, um, the birth in Bethlehem was predicted. And the words of that verse are on the screen. And it further stated in that verse that there'll be a ruler who would shepherd the people Israel. And they would also have been aware of Isaiah 7, which prophesied that a virgin would conceive and give birth to God's son. So as we can see from here, God's leader was anticipated for centuries. God knew that you know, he had to signpost this. He let people know that what was happening. And Herod's people knew this. They knew these verses. The Magi knew this and responded to the signs that God had given them when they started their journey. So when they saw the star, the star stop over the place where the child was, the passage tells us in verse 10 that they were overjoyed, really excited to hear this news. Imagine a group of pagan astronomers who sought out the king, who worshipped him in joy, and joy in that sense for being you know, flat on the floor with your face on the ground type of worship. True worship is marked with joy. And to be honest, it was great to see joy here today when you were singing the, the choruses. A real joy, a real atmosphere was, was flowing from the people here this morning. And, and during the um, exchanges and the, the news of your family and things to pray for, there was joy there that God was moving. And to be honest, you know, it really should be the theme of every service, every service in this church. Now, I'm privileged to be invited to speak in a number of churches and I can assure you that joy isn't always present in many of these places. But there's plenty to be joyful for. Now, our Redeemer came to earth. He saved us from our sins and he's gone to prepare a place for us to be with him. Now, what is there not to be joyful about there? It will be a theme in heaven, a great theme of everlasting joy, everlasting excitement. But they were people who were different. Herod and co. were very different to that. They were hostile, they were murderous. And despite having the scriptures and all the prophecies, they still choose to ignore it and uh, take a very hostile approach. Now, Herod was not a nice person, to put it politely. He was paranoid, he was calculating. In fact, he had his wife and at least two of his sons killed 
because he thought they were about to overthrow him. And um, even more strange, when he came towards the end of his life, when he was in his 70s when he died, he fully expected people not to mourn him too greatly, shows what the people thought. So he arranged for all of his top officials to be arrested by the, by the military and put in prison. And they were instructed in the military that when he died, they were to murder all these other top officials, so there would be plenty of mourning in Jerusalem at the time he died. He was very calculating, a very dodgy person. So when he questioned the Magi, he knew exactly what he was doing. He asked you know, where the Christ was to be born so he could plan what he was going to do next and where he was going to do it. He asked when the star first appeared so he knows the sort of time frame, the approximate age of the children that he then planned to murder. And in that way he could ensure that God's king was done away with. Now this is probably the most blatant, the most sort of uh, obvious and brutal rejection of God's king. Why would he plan to murder this long-awaited Messiah, the leader that the Jews had longed for for many, many centuries? Was it that he did not want Jesus in his life? Was there a fear that Jesus would perhaps replace him? Was he too busy to find time for this new leader? Might it be that he was afraid of what people would think of him if he turned and recognised God's king? Now, many people today that we fall into that category sort of follow the thinking of um, Herod in that they didn't really want to be associated with Jesus. And Herod at that point really was the beginning of the anti-Christian movement. And his son Herod, and they obviously didn't have much imagination when it came to names in those days, but his son also called Herod, was involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And down the centuries ever since then, various groups have attacked Christians. Most recently in Sudan, Pakistan, India, where there's been lots of attacks on Christians. And according to Open Doors, which is an organisation which supports the persecuted church, there's been huge numbers of uh, things going on. According to them, there are 360 million Christians currently suffering persecution. That is one in seven Christians. They tell us that last year alone, 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith. 2,110 churches and Christian buildings were attacked, many burned to the ground just in the last year. But that includes a number, actually, in this country where buildings have been attacked. So it's not just something that happens in other countries. And we need to be ready. I think you know, greater persecution is coming our way. We will need to stand firm. So with so much anti-Christian feeling going on, we must be clear where we stand with Jesus. And we have choices. Um, choices that fall into perhaps three different groups that are identified in the Bible. There are those who resent him, those who are indifferent to him, and those who worship him. And everyone here today is in one of those three groups. The first two lead to should say eternal separation from God, the damnation, the judgment that's promised. Um, as being indifferent is the same in Jesus' eyes to being hostile. And Jesus put it this way, he says in the verse on the screen, now those who are not with me are against me. Um, so we need to be sure that we are on the right path. We really need to be amongst those who are worshipping along the sides, but with the Magi. 
In the passage, we do see these two different approaches following an encounter with Jesus. We can either drop everything, search him out, but worship him. Or secondly, to want him out of the way, to reject him, to actually move strongly against him. Now, the last time I was here, um, the passage was uh, John chapter 1. And in verse 11, um, it mentions that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, he gave to become the children of God. So these magi from the east were blessed. They were welcomed as children of God because of their response to the Christ. Herod and co. would be cast out from God's kingdom because of their response. And the choice really is that black and white. Because the truth of the gospel is that we all sin. We all need a saviour because we cannot save ourselves. If we were good enough, if we were righteous enough to get to heaven on our own, there would have been no need for this baby to be born. Now we may think that we've got life sorted. We may think that we're doing really, really well. Or we may recognise that we have actually messed up in, in quite a big way. Our life isn't really where it should be. And there are probably people here today who on the outside appear to have their life really sorted and look like they're, they're doing everything right. But inside, they're dying. And you will know if that is you. But the good news is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not about doing good things rather than bad things. It isn't about saying to God at the end of time, you know, I did lots more good things than I did bad things. In the main, I really was a good person. It's not about that. It's all about God's grace to us and our response to him, our personal faith. Now, God accepts that we all fall short of where we should be. But despite that, he like puts his arms out and says, I love you. I love you. He sent a saviour for you who lived a blameless life on our behalf. A saviour who died on the cross. A saviour who took our penalty. He will do what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is God's grace, God's love for us. When we accept that and recognise our sin and acknowledge Jesus as our saviour, that is where we you know, turn. That's the beginning of the, the right journey. That's the faith that we need. And when that happens, when we take that step, God's faith falls on us. That's God's part. He's doing his bit of the, the message. We are saved by that. And to know him in a personal way, to repent of where we've gone wrong, is our part. That's what we have to do. And all this is a wonderful and generous gift that God gives to us. So today's passage gives us two very different types of people. Those who sought after him and those who hated him. Herod clearly hated him. And Jesus still has his haters today. In, back in that time, there were the critics, they were the sceptics, they were the detractors. And they were, in many ways, the religious leaders at that time going down that path despite all that they knew in the scriptures. And such people, such critics, such skeptics, such detractors still exist today. We, you know, they have regular columns in the newspapers. We see them on the internet. We um, see them on the TV trying to sort of put wedges in, trying to sort of make it all sound like it's total rubbish. But those who sought him, sought him at that time, the Magi and of course the shepherds, were both opposite ends of the social spectrum. They came from very different backgrounds. 
that those shepherds were Jewish. The Magi came from the East. The shepherds brought no gifts. The Magi brought valuable things. The shepherds got there quickly, but the, the Magi needed to ask directions before they could get there. But the one thing that they had in common was the desire to see Jesus, to be part of his family. And the same is true today. Jesus appeals to people of all backgrounds, all nationalities, the rich, poor. He appeals to those who are close to him within perhaps church groups and those who are far away. And to those who need help, he will help them on their way as well. Those that seem to be a little lost, he will give them directions. So we really have two choices. Which path do we wish to go down? You know, the biggest question that I think we will ever answer is which type of person are you? We'll come to sort of a... Can you nudge it on? The figure seems to have gone. Yeah. Yeah. Or something frozen. Not to worry. There, there should be a picture there of a, of a signpost. One pointing Jesus one way and that's pointing away to the dark, stormy side on the other. So would you be on the side of Herod and his supporters? It's very easy to, to go down that path and distance yourself from Jesus. Or would you be on the side of the Magi? Jesus made it clear that there are some people who see but never really understand, never really get what's going on. People who hear but it doesn't really permit, they don't really get what the message is. People in all walks of life can see and they can hear what Jesus is offering. And many people are just not prepared to commit. They're not prepared to turn from their old lives to turn to Jesus. So the question is, you know, do you really know him? Do you know him in your heart? Or do you just have an understanding of who he is? There might be some people here who, who can look back on their life and see that God was with you here, perhaps in your teenage years. He might have been with you in your early 20s or a younger adult, you can see where his hand was on you and he protected you, maybe saved you from a difficult situation. But at that time, maybe you didn't know his name. You didn't know that he wanted a relationship with you. You may feel a long way from God at the moment, or you may feel really close, but wherever you are, the invitation is here for you. So if you're in that uncertain period, please don't leave today without speaking to one of the leaders if you want to know a little bit more about this wonderful invitation. You know, let it be known publicly whose side you are on and take that first step. Now Jesus chose you right from the beginning. That is why he came. That is why he died. Will you choose him in response? Do you have the desire to see Jesus as your own personal saviour? Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for your message today. We thank you for the example of the Magi who went to huge lengths, huge trouble to see you and to be with you and to follow you. And I just pray, Lord, you'll put it in our hearts to do the same, that we will want also to know you in a greater way, to not be like Herod and his uh, it is people at that time who deliberately put distance, put malice, put murderous intent, put hatred in the way. Lord, that is the way the world seems to want us to go with all the news and things that are happening. But Lord, we need to stand firm 
to what we believe and to go forward on that basis. Amen. Amen.